0: us, one day, we'll die. I will die. You will die. Everyone in this room will die. We'll come to the end of our days. We'll breathe our last breath. Our heart will stop beating. Our, our mind will stop functioning. Our vital organs will stop what they do to keep us living. And we will die. So easy to just push that to the side. For some of us, though, we've already begun to feel the curse that God put against Adam and all of Adam's descendants because Adam sinned. And God said, On the day that you do that, when you sin, when you break my law, on that day you shall surely die. So God. Delivered the curse to Adam and to all of his descendants. He said, from dust you came, and to dust you shall return. So some of us are already beginning to feel the curse in our bodies. We feel it as we, as we get older, as, as just getting up in the morning is more difficult than it was at one time. And f- so for, for those of us that are beginning to feel that way, uh, we know, perhaps we're reminded every day, yes, life is limited. And there are some people who feel very close, knowing that their days are few. There's some others of you who still feel quite sprightly, thus you wrongly feel that you're somehow invincible. You think, well, death is just so far away, uh, I don't even think about it, I don't feel the repercussions of the fall, I don't feel the curse That God issued against Adam and me. And so I'm just going to not think about it. I'm not going to worry about it. And and to those of you who are in that position. Let me just say that you may be closer to death. Than some who are anticipating it. In the near future. None of us knows if we're going to make it to this evening or tomorrow morning. In fact. In the world today there are people. Right now who are alive that will not make it to sundown. And they are completely unawares. They feel fine. So whether you are feeling your age or not, whether you feel the curse of Adam in your bones or not, you're going to die and I'm going to die. And then what? Have you chosen burial or cremation? And have you thought about what it is like to be buried? Have you thought about the process of cremation? And that's just what's happening to your physical body. If you think about either very long, they're both very disconcerting. Then what about your spirit? What about your life? Will you go to nirvana? You know what nirvana is? It's uh, this idea that there is this universal consciousness and that if we can achieve a certain sense of enlightenment, we become a drop in that vast ocean. And you lose all individuality. You lose your sense of self. Uh, and you become just one drop in the ocean of nirvana. And that's, that's the goal for millions and millions of people around the world, to be stripped of themselves, to drop back into the ocean of nirvana. Or is death the end? Is, after death, is there just nothingness? So you have a good time now, and then you die, and then Nothing. Millions of people hold to that position. Or what about the nether world? And then this has various sort of manifestations in many different worldviews and religions. But this idea that, well, when I die, I will escape from this body and I will go somewhere else. And, and I think that's how we often think as Christians, right? That the goal is to escape this body and to be somewhere else. And that's just another version of This netherworld idea where the the greatest hope for us is to be freed from the physical creation of God, from these bodies, flesh and and blood and bone. You could be religious or you could be a secular person. There's lots of people that believe in some kind of a netherworld, a spirit world. It's as ancient as the Egyptian and as current as secular Canada today. And then there's uh, millions of people who believe in reincarnation. When you die, will you just trade in this life for another one? And hopefully you'll you'll, you'll maybe roll better odds for the next life, or if you've lived kind of a bad life, maybe you'll be a a dung beetle or something. (laughs) Or is there hope for resurrection from the dead? That you are who you are? And that though we will die, that's not the end. That God with the powerful command of his voice will call for us to rise from our graves. And these bodies that you're in right now. that The body that you're in, whether you like it or not, that body will come back to life. But yet it will be made glorious and perfect and strong It'll never thirst. It'll never hunger. It'll never grow sick. It'll never grow old. It will never grow weak. It will never grow tired. It will just be one glorious body and you'll be you forever and I will be me. But who could believe in resurrection from the dead? What if you were cremated? What then? If you were sprinkled over your favorite lake, how are you going to be cremated? Well, God can do it. What if you were eaten by a shark or a bear? Don't worry, God can do it. The hope of the gospel, you see, is resurrection from the dead. And that's what we're here to talk about today. Resurrection from the dead. But before we get to the resurrection, we have to first acknowledge that death is a real problem. And it's a real problem because, unlike many things, it's guaranteed. It's coming. And it's coming soon. Whether you live another 60 years, another 80 years, or maybe even another 100 years, it's still coming soon. A 100 years goes by in the wink of an eye. And for some of us, it's coming much sooner than that. And death is ruthless. It doesn't discriminate. Everyone will meet with death in one form or another. And death, so we're told, is final. Unless God does something to say death you will not have the last word. The gospel confronts death in its own backyard. The resurrection of Jesus is the only reality under heaven. It's the only statement That's uh, philosophical or religious or secular or otherwise. It actually confronts death and defeats death. Every other worldview, every other religion, every other hope and dream circumvents death in some way, tries to explain it away, hope it away, but no other reality or statement of, of, of hope or faith, or belief confronts death the way that our gospel does. Jesus is the only one that confronted death head on in death's own backyard and said, do your worst. And on the cross, death did its worst. And Jesus said, that's not enough. And he came back to life. The resurrection of Jesus is the only re- reality that directly confronts death by defeating it. By defeating it. Not going around it, over it, under it, but defeating it once and for all. Would you please stand and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 What we see in these chapters is a presentation of the gospel. This is what we're going to look at today. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead. Dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. For good works. Which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father we We take a moment now at the beginning of our celebration of resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ and then of ourselves who have put our faith in Christ to remember that without the gospel, without Jesus, without the resurrection that we celebrate today, we're dead and dying and death wins. But praise be to God, we glorify you, O Father and Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, that you have wrought an end to death, that you confronted death by dying. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you died our death, that we might be raised with you. Lord, we know that this cost you. This is not cheap. This was not easy. But you have purchased us with your blood, you have carried our sins to the grave. You've come back to life, but you've left our sins in the grave, and you have promised to raise us up to be seated with you in the heavenly places. Lord, forgive us when this gospel becomes so familiar that it loses its glory in our hearts. The debt that you have forgiven is staggering beyond comprehension for each one of us, and yet we can become so casual with the gift that you've given us. And so we confess that to you and we invite your Holy Spirit to make the resurrection of Jesus, which is also our resurrection, promised to us. Make it real. And may we worship you With spiritual fervor and thanksgiving. Lord, I pray that your grace would be upon me. Speak through me. Open up this text to our minds, to our hearts, to our spirits. Would it be living water to our souls? And glorify yourself. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated the 10 verses that we read outline the full gospel. The, these are perhaps the, the 10 most stunning verses put together. And I mean, I say that about a lot of different passages. But, but this passage is just so glorious because it takes the book of Romans, which is a very long and, and complicated and important book, and it summarizes the whole book of Romans in 10 verses. So I just encourage you, if you've never thought about memorizing Scripture, maybe, maybe this is a passage that is manageable enough that you would say, well, I'm going to take some time now to memorize these ten verses, the full gospel, the summary of everything that we believe, the hope that we have in Christ. Now, I recognize that on a day like today, even in a a group this small, now most of you are, are members and adherents of The Rock, but there are a few who have come with family, some that haven't come that frequently and so I know that even in a group this small, that, that probably not every one of us is saved. There may be some here who uh, are here a little bit against their will, or, or maybe they're not quite sure if they believe in the gospel. Maybe they like the sound of it, but they have never really wrestled with. You've never wrestled with the idea that Jesus died and then physically came back to life. And so I would just ask you to, to tune in. Just take the next 40 minutes. Sounds like a long time, but it's not really relatively that long a time when when life and death hang in the balance. Take, take 40 minutes right now. Maybe there's one or two or three of you who are in this position right now. Take this time, and, and it doesn't matter what you thought about the gospel in the past. It doesn't matter what you think you know about Jesus. It doesn't matter what you think about church or about us at The Rock. Just take 40 minutes to consider if this might be true. Because if it is true, the glory of this truth is so wonderful. The gift that God is willing to give you right now is so complete and so enduring that it will never end. And you'll be raised back to life that though death will come for you, you will be raised back to life and you will live with him forever. Is that not worth considering? Now, I know that most of you have already embraced this gospel that we're about to talk about. And so the challenge for us who have already accepted Christ, embraced this gospel, are looking forward to resurrection from the dead. The challenge for us is perhaps threefold. One, is this the truth that wakes you up every morning? Are you able to put your life into perspective by remembering that no matter how hard your day is today, death is defeated. Think about that. Like that just changes everything. It's as if you you ran up a big financial debt and you don't know how you're going to pay it off. But you know that on such and such a date, your rich uncle is going to come and pay off your debt. It just relieves the stress and the anxiety, doesn't it? It just changes everything. It changes your understanding of life, the way that you approach every given day. Is that true for us? Or are we, like the unsaved people all around us, just so consumed with our lives, so distracted by lesser things? So first challenge. Second challenge is are you able to articulate the gospel to your loved ones? Could you walk them through these ten verses? Because after this morning, what I hope you'll do is memorize these verses and then be ready at any given moment. When someone says, I don't know what I think about this whole Jesus thing. I hope you'll be able to say, well, I just want to talk to you about that. And then if you have a Bible, open it up and just walk them through this. Could you do that now? And if not, then allow yourself to to learn as, as I walk us through this how you might do that. And the third thing for us as Christians that I hope we're confronted with is that escaping these bodies is not our hope. Our hope is not that, that we will just go up into heaven and float around like spirits. Ethereal beings floating around in ethereal, whimsical place. And it's true when we die, our souls are immediately with the Lord. Whether or not he gives us a temporary body or not, I'm not Sure. The Bible is not clear, but that's not our ultimate hope. Our ultimate hope is that when Christ returns, he he commands us to rise from the grave. So just picture yourself for a moment. You've died. And whether you've chosen cremation or burial, just picture whatever that is. Picture either uh, the urn being put in its place or the casket being lowered into the ground. And there you there you reside your body anyway, not you yourself, your spirits with the Lord. But this is the hope of the gospel, that the day is coming when Jesus will come and he will speak directly to your remains and he will say, arise. And whatever is left of you will rise up and God will glorify you and add to you substance so that... These very bodies in whatever form that takes, but there's continuity between the bodies you have right now and the bodies that you will live in forever, albeit every imperfection and weakness will be taken care of. But why is it as Christians that that we're not looking forward to resurrection anymore? We're just looking forward to escape. The Bible is not promising us escape from these bodies, but resurrection, salvation, redemption, Just as Christ's body came out of the tomb, so our bodies will rise from the dead. Amazing. And if your body is lost to the elements, don't worry. Do you think God can handle that? He who created this universe out of nothing, do you think he can put you back together again? Of course he can. I don't know how he does it, but that's not for me to figure out. Let's go through the Gospel As summarized in Ephesians chapter 2. The gospel begins as we did this morning with a serious recognition of the reality of death. Starts this way. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The first thing that's in view here is this that that we are born and, and our bodies are living biologically. Okay? So so unsaved people, you might say, Well, how is it that they're dead? In one sense, they're not dead, right? In one sense, they're living, their bodies are working. Their heart is pumping. Their lungs are taking in air. But but what's in view here, and this happened to Adam and Eve before their bodies returned to the dust, is that they were entirely cut off from God. And death is a separation between us and God. And when God created the the universe, and He created humanity to be the pinnacle achievement of His creation, and He created us to be made in His image, to be His vice regents in this world, the, the idea was that we would be in intimate relationship with God. That there would be nothing to obstruct us from God. That that we would almost be able to gaze into heaven and to see him. That when we pray, it's not like, you know how when we pray, there seems to be this distance even now. But because we live by faith, but then we'll see face to face. There was this face to face quality to life before the fall. And I, I don't exactly know what that means or what that looked like or what that felt like. But Adam and Eve had a relationship with with God that we don't even have yet as as born-again believers, but we will have. We're in the process of being restored to that. In the process. So so that's the first thing is that we're we're totally cut off from God. And that itself is a form of death. And that form of death, when you're cut off from God, God is the source of life. So if you're cut off from God, he may sustain you by his grace for a season. And we know that, what, the, the number of, of years to a human life is very few, less than a century. Eventually, because we're cut off from God, he says, I'll sustain you for a time, but then you're going to return to the dust. And we've already talked about that this morning. That's, that's the end of the human race without Christ. The second thing that it means, it says that we're following the prince of the power of the air. To put this in different language is all of us at one time, whether we knew it or not, and every unsaved human being today who has not put their faith in Christ are worshipping Satan. Very few people would actually call it that. Very few people would actually call themselves satanic worshippers. But if you're not worshipping God, you're you're worshipping someone or something else and the devil is in charge of everything else. And so, don't be deceived. If you haven't put your faith in Christ, you've put your faith in the devil. And the devil doesn't deliver except to cheat you, to steal from you, to kill you, to rob you, to, to give you misery. He doesn't desire your good he will love to to make you happy for a season that's a that's the candy that he throws out in front of you and he'll make you happy for a season but make no mistake that if you are not following Christ you're following the prince of the power of the air which is satan and his end is destruction he doesn't care and that's what we all were doing we're all following after him and and he never delivered if if you haven't put your faith in Christ i'm speaking here to the few and not to the many Have you ever noticed that life is always under delivering? It promises so much and it delivers so little. It's because the one in charge is the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself. Thirdly, we're told that we are all, we were all lust driven. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Now, God wants us to take pleasure in our senses. So we don't want to take this too far and to say, well, then we must be miserable and don't enjoy a good painting, don't enjoy a nice meal, don't enjoy his natural beauty. That's not at all what this is saying. What this is saying is the greatest good for someone who is not in Christ is to try and feed their appetites, appetites that have been perverted by the fall. And so you're desiring something, and we all desired something that was less than the ultimate good in in all of reality, which is God. And of course, it's always under delivering. It's like it's like being attracted to spoiled meat because we think that it's good. But all the, if you eat the spoiled meat that's gone rotten, what does it do? It, it turns your stomach, and that's that's what it is to be driven by the appetites of our lust. It may seem good, but it's just rotten meat. The greater good is to be in fellowship with, with the Creator. With the Sustainer. With the Redeemer. With Christ Himself. To, to take His body and His flesh by faith. And to be caught up into the relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To, to enjoy the love that they have always enjoyed with one another. To be brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. To have access to the the heavenly throne room. To to worship with the holy angels. And anything less than that is just rotten meat. And if if you are following the prince of the power of the air. Your greatest desire is for something much less than God wants to give you. The third thing. Is that if we are cut off from God. God. If our only hope was that we were going to die, that we were following Satan, and we were drawn to rotten meat, the, the, the next thing is perhaps the worst of all, we were all hellbound. You see, there's a lot of people that try and deal with death by distracting themselves. Even the hope of nothingness Complete annihilation escapes the fact that that's not anyone's end. God created no human being to evaporate into nothingness. Every human being will endure forever. That's good news for some, but terrible news for others. Because the default destination of humanity ever since the fall of Adam is is condemnation. We were by nature children of wrath. So if you haven't put your faith in Christ, don't, don't try and massage your fears and anxieties about death by hoping for nirvana or hoping for nothingness or hoping for reincarnation or even hoping for another world. Because the only end for those who are not in Christ is the wrath of God which manifests itself forever and ever without end in hell. That's the bad news, isn't that? Isn't that bad news? This was all of our lot. This is where we were all going. We were all born into this. And before we put our faith in Christ, this was us. If you haven't put your faith in Christ... This is you. So what's the good news? I mean, this is Easter Sunday, isn't it? Well, there's much good news, but the good news is only good if if it's in contrast to the bad news, right? The good news is that because of God's love, God loves us. God created the world. He he looked at the whole universe that he had created, the whole entire cosmos. He said, this is good. This is really, really good. And you know, when he looked at his creation, before anyone sinned, before there was any disruption in what God had planned, he looked at humanity, at the human race, and he says, that is the pinnacle of my achievement. Adam and Eve were the the brilliance of God's created power. And so when he looked at the universe, he says, this is so good. And he loved that which he created. So much so that he's not going to throw it away. And he looked at humanity and he said, Adam, I love you. Eve, I love you with a never-ending love. You are the bearers of my image. I will bestow upon you my glory I will give you my authority. I want you to have dominion in the entire universe. And if Adam and Eve hadn't had sinned, I don't know. Would we still be constrained to the planet Earth? I don't know. I tend to think not. God created a big universe. And the hopes for for Adam and Eve were so great. To have dominion, not just over the, the world, this planet, but to have dominion over all of creation they hadn't sinned, we might have been on the far side of the Milky Way, having dominion over creatures not yet discovered. I don't know. But of course we sin. But the point here is that God so loves humanity. God so loves that which he created. God so loves us. He's not going to throw us away. And he could have, right? Adam and Eve, after they sinned, Genesis 4 could have read this way. Therefore, God said, what a mistake. Collapsed the universe and started over. He could have. It would have been a short Bible. <laughs> but he could have done that. But he didn't. And, and so God said, I, I am not going to throw away my created children. I'm going to redeem them. In fact... I love humanity so much, I'm going to become a man. And I'm going to confront their sin. I'm going to confront the death that is the result of their sin. I'm going to take all of that into my body, their sin, their death. And I'm going to die, and I'm going to redeem this race of creatures. And they will bear my image, and I will be their father, and they will be my children. And I will catch them up into myself. they will enjoy the relationship that has always been between Father, Son, and Spirit. It's exactly where Paul transitions now in verse 4. But God, this was not the end. We're not destined to be children of wrath. Because God, because He is rich in mercy. Mercy is is that quality in, in God's heart that says, They deserve my wrath but I'm not going to give it to them. That's mercy. I should punish them, but I don't want to. Because God is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, not because we were good, not because we were attractive to Him, not because there was anything in us that that He might say, well, you know, there... They're kind of a sorry lot, but I like that. No, there was nothing, nothing in you that that drew God to you before you were saved. So if you're thinking, again, speaking to the few this morning and not the many, if you're thinking that, well, I know I'm not perfect, right? We all know that. I'm not perfect. But there's something in me that God must like. No, there's not. He loves you anyway because that's who He is. He longs to to be merciful with you because that's who He is. Because of His rich mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. There's so much there that we can't do justice to this morning. But let me just pick out three things. First thing, our salvation is entirely dependent on God's love and mercy, not on our merit, not because of anything that we have done, not because of any quality in us that God liked. Well, we were just totally depraved sinners. And before we were saved, when God looked at us, he said, I ought to punish this person. So we didn't do anything. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But by grace, you have been saved. Definition of grace. A lot of people, and this is a good definition, but it's not the best definition. Uh, a definition of grace is unmerited favor. It's a good definition, but it's, it's only half of what grace actually is. The first part of grace, sort of, envelops this idea of mercy. The first part of grace is, I'm not going to do what I ought to do. Grace is is not receiving what we deserve. We deserve punishment. We deserve wrath. We deserve condemnation. So the beginning of grace is, is this idea of mercy, not receiving what we deserve. And then that would have been enough, right? That would have been enough. Just give us escape from hell. Give us escape from punishment. Give us escape from condemnation and wrath. That would have been enough, and I would have been content with that. That's not def- that's not grace. Grace is lavishing the love of God upon us. Once he removes what we deserve, then lavishing what we don't deserve upon us, and says, I'm going to give you everything that I've given to Christ. Everything that rightly belongs to Jesus Christ, I'm going to give it to you. Everything. And the inheritance that, that he has as my only son, I'm going to ask him to share it with all of you. And you know what? Jesus says, yes, yes, that's what I want to do. I want to be the firstborn son in a, in a large family. And Jesus says, yes, I want to do that. How are we going to make that happen? And in the eternal counsel of God's will, Father, Son, and Spirit said, well, this is how we're going to make that happen. You, my son. Are going to go. You're going to become a man. You're going to take the sin of humanity into your body. I'm going to betray. Or not betray. I'm going to forsake you. I'm going to pour out my wrath on you, and you're going to die. And Jesus says, "Yes, yes, let's do that." The love of God. That's grace. Let's do that. Grace. Saved, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus has done, because he wanted to share his inheritance with us. And what is that inheritance? Well, think about it. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. They're all equal. First, second, and third. Father is the first, Jesus the second, Spirit is the third. And that's not to give a hierarchy of of glory or divinity. The three together constitute one God. Just think about this for a moment. Eternally, the Father has shared with the Son everything that makes the Father God. What's the inheritance of the Son? It's everything that the Father has to give. That's what God wants to give us, except we don't become God. Everything else is ours. Everything else. The word glorification, do you know that there's another word for that? Because translations and so on. And if you're in an Eastern Orthodox church, do you know what the word is that they use? Deification. Doesn't mean we become God, but Peter himself says that we will be partakers of... Of the divine nature. Everything short of becoming Yahweh himself. Is ours. We can't can't even get our heads around that. What does that mean? I don't even know. But when Paul says. I am convinced that, that today's sufferings are nothing. Absolutely nothing compared to the glory. About to be revealed to us. What is that glory? It's. It's so heavy and weighty and wonderful that we don't even know, but I'll tell you where it begins. I I can only open the door and say that I know where it begins. I know where it starts. And my hope, my prayer for us is that we don't sell ourselves short as gospel-believing people. Why is it that we're so content with escape from hell? That's nothing. That's not the inheritance. That's just reversing what Adam did. But, but what God wants to do is to give us everything that God gave to the Son eternally, forever and ever, all of His glory. So that we will shine brighter than the stars. We're told that we'll be invited up onto the throne of Christ. Have you ever thought about that? Come and sit with me and reign over the universe with me. I don't even, I can't even get my head around that. But it's ours. Don't you feel so weak now in comparison to what's coming? So small, so insignificant, so ghost-like, so fluid and ethereal. There's a great weightiness coming to us. And this is where the inheritance begins. It's resurrection. It's amazing that in this passage, which I say summarizes the gospel, very little attention is given to the death of Christ. Paul just, just goes immediately to the resurrection. It's so resurrection focused. He says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, look, what does it say next? He made us alive together with Christ. What does that mean? If you go back to John's Gospel, in him was life. And the life was the light of mankind. He made us alive together with Christ. What, what is being said here? If you think about the source of all life in the universe as a fountain, and you could just go to that fountain of water and drink directly from it, that's what this means. It means that you are being, you're being the life that, that comes from God, that, that emanates from Jesus himself, that, that is responsible for creating all things, that sustains all things. God is giving us direct access to that source of life. Not not separate or distant from life. Not not a life that we know is transient and temporary. That's the life that we're all living now, right? I, I mean, in us now is we've already been given the down payment of this eternal life. But we're going to recognize it in full when we are raised from the dead. And we will feel the full glory of the life of God. Just like a streaming water constantly coming through our being. Always. Like rushing water. It will always be quenched. That's why in, in John four, when Jesus says, "You know, anyone who drinks of this water will never be thirsty again." Just, just try and get your head around the fountain of life, which is Jesus Himself, and you're drinking directly from it. And it's coming so fast that it's just flowing over you, and you just feel the glory of that. That's what we get. What does that mean for us? Resurrection from the dead, bodily resurrection. Verse 6. This is so sure to be accomplished that it's written in the past tense. And he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. What some people do with that is they try to overly spiritualize and say, well, in some sense I must be in heaven. Like, I have access to heaven. I have this sort of status in heaven. That's not what this says. This This means... Just as Jesus died on the cross and came back to life. So you will die and be buried or cremated or lost to the elements, whatever. But you'll be raised back to life. And then you'll be raised up into the heavenly places. Physically. When you think about the resurrection of Jesus, this is Resurrection Sunday. What do you think about? Like, let's just close your eyes for a moment and and picture it. So Jesus was on the cross. He died. And he was a man, a little bit shorter than me, maybe a little bit taller, but about our size, right? Our size. Somewhere between five and seven feet. He was about that big. Can you picture that? When you think about Jesus, how big do you think he was? Well, he's somewhere between five and seven feet. So he died and his body came down. Can you picture his dead body? And they put the dead body of a man, and we know that this man was also fully God, but they put the dead body of a man into a tomb. Now, I want you to picture the resurrection. Picture it. Pretend you were there, you were inside the tomb and you got to see it. What? What is it? What do you picture I mean, there's no really wrong answer because the Bible doesn't give us insight here. But what must be included in every one of our visions, our sanctified imagination, what must be included is that the corpse of Jesus, a man, came back to life. So whether or not you see a blinding light or whether or not it's a little bit more subtle than that, at one moment, he began to breathe again. At one moment, his heart began to pump again. There's continuity between the body that hung on the cross and the body that came out of the tomb. Now, the other thing that we would add is that there was something added to his body. When, when Christ was raised from the dead, there's continuity, but there's also something new. There's more substance. He's raised a spiritual body which is not less than a physical body but God adds to the body of Jesus. A a quality, a substance, a concreteness that wasn't there before. He was born in the likeness of sinful man. He was raised a spiritual being. That's not less than physical resurrection from the dead but something is added to his body right at that moment. Now, Having done that, he is, he is our pattern. He is—that is That is what's going to happen to us. So now picture your own resurrection from the dead. Your, your remains, whatever they are, they're there. And, and God says, get up. And you do. And if you're buried six feet down uh, in your resurrection, I mean, lots are going to have to be added to your body, right? Whatever's left of it. And God will add the same measure that he added to Christ's body so that our body will be glorious the way Christ's body is glorious right now. And then because we are raised with such substance, this world, the the physicality of this world becomes like a mist or a fog. And you just just rise out of the ground, not because you're a ghost, but because the earth is like nothing. It's like like going through a, a, a misty fog and you just come up. And then you live like that forever and ever. Physical, spiritual, glorified. That's just the beginning of the inheritance that is ours. Promised by the Gospel. He has raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. And then I I love verse 7 because it's so vague. But it... it it entices me. So we're told the, the, the beginning of this inheritance, and then it goes vague. And, and Paul says, so that in our resurrected glory that matches Christ's glory, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. What is that? Why? Not even Paul seems to know, but it's good. And then the part that I love is in the coming ages. Have you ever wondered about uh, life after death? And it's like, well, aren't we going to get bored? Shame on us for thinking that way. But let's be honest, it's crossed my mind. Has it crossed your mind? Well, forever is a long time. And what are we going to be doing forever? <laughs> well, this is a great verse. Not that we should ever think that way anyway. So that's not, that's not a good way to think. But we've all thought it. But... Here, in the coming ages, God is a creator. What this tells me, and what I hope it tells you, is that God is going to be forever creating new realities, new ages, new things to experience, new wonders. And the one constant through it all is that we'll be there, and God will be there. And we'll be together forever in every age. So if you could imagine a trillion years from now, oh, we're entering into age three. This is very exciting. What is it? I have no idea, but it's going to be great. And you'll be there with authority. You'll be there with glory. You will still be drinking out of the fountain of life. And there will be no end to it. And and we'll have authority over every age. That's one thing that we're promised. That whatever God does, whatever creative genius he brings to the next age, we will always be positioned in the place of highest authority. It's amazing. See how short-sighted we are in our hopes of the gospel? We just hope to escape these, these breaking down bodies and escape hell. That's nothing That's absolutely nothing compared to the promise of the gospel. We better bring this home here. But begin to to just employ your sanctified imagination. Think about the most glorious thing you could think about. And then just think about the possibility that you might have a one-on-one with Jesus and get to suggest that as age 57, You know, I had this idea one Easter Sunday that we could do this. What do you think? Well, sure, age 57, let's do that. I don't know. But just what I want you to do, what I mean by that is always be thinking bigger. Always be thinking more. And it starts with resurrection from the dead. Physical, bodily, glorious resurrection from the dead. Continuity with the body you're in now. Strip it of all its weaknesses. Strip it of all its frailties. All of its imperfections. And then realize that you get to be you physically in a body forever. Why? Because of Jesus. Last thing on resurrection. When you picture Jesus... What do you picture? Who do you picture? Right now, Jesus is a living man. The same body that was born on Christmas morning is living in heaven. That tells you something about heaven, right? It has to have at least three dimensions. Do you think about Jesus as a man? Living, heart beating, lungs breathing, walking, talking, thinking, tasting, feeling. How big is he? Somewhere around here. It's about this big. That's amazing. And you're going to meet him. You're going to be able to touch him. That's really important. Touch him. It means you have a body. He has a body. He'll show you where the nails went. When I was a younger Christian, I was so frustrated That I didn't get to walk with Christ. As I matured and learned more about the promise of resurrection from the dead. I realized that's no small thing. Because I'll have infinite ages. In all of the coming ages. To walk with him and talk with him. To know him. To touch him. To eat with him. To sing with him. To laugh with him. And so will you. Last three verses, and we'll go over these fairly quickly. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Very quickly, this is all given to us as a gift You can't earn it. You can't be good enough for it. Uh, God will punish all sin. All of your sin will be punished. All of my sin will be punished. For those of us who have put our faith in Christ, our sin was punished 2,000 years ago on a cross. It's dealt with. It's over. For those of you, and again now I'm talking to the few and not the many, if you refuse to put your faith in Christ, if you refuse to take this gift, if you say, I will take it on my own, then let me just warn you very very soberly that then your sin will be punished in you. So that's your choice. Either, either your sin is punished in Jesus or your sin is punished in you. All of our sin is punished, which is your choice. If you give your sin to Jesus, then it's dealt with. He died and paid for the penalty of your sin. His death is your death. If you say, well, I'll take it myself, then everything that we've talked about this morning, you forfeit that. It's not yours. You can't have it. And you'll be punished and condemned as a child of wrath. Like, Do the two even compare? Honestly, honestly, you can receive the glory of God and live with Him through every age to come, or you can take your sin yourself and pack your bags for eternal separation from God. I mean, take your choice. So different. This is the gift of God. So there's no boasting. All of us that receive the gift, the inheritance, those of us who who are raised from the dead to enjoy an eternal life with Christ. There's no boasting. No one in the ages to come will say, well, I contributed anything to this. God did it all. And he receives all the glory. Finally, we were saved for good works. And and this is important um, because sometimes as Christians, we strip out the good works piece because we're so fearful of works-based salvation. Let's just put the order. So, this is it's true. It's not that good works lead to our salvation. That's true. But our salvation leads to good works. If you think about the things that we talked about this morning, the inheritance that is ours, how ought we to live then? If God has done all this for us, if you truly embrace that in your heart. If you've truly been born again and and given the mercy and the grace and the promise of the inheritance and resurrection from the dead, don't you want to make your life count today for Christ? And so the mark of a true Christian is one who has been saved, no boasting, nothing that we did, it's a gift. And that then leads to a life of good works. And those good works do not contribute or maintain our salvation but they are our worship to God who has saved. We started this morning by recognizing that we're all going to die. The gospel is the only answer to death. Jesus died and came back to life. And if we love him, though we die, we will also be physically, bodily, gloriously raised from the dead. You're going to die. I'm going to die. And then what? Well, that depends. Who do you trust? Trust Christ and live forever. Let's pray. Lord, on this Resurrection Sunday, we pause to just remember our situation. We are, we are all headed to death, and yet you have dealt with death. It's, it's over for those of us who have put our faith in Christ, so that when these bodies stop working, we just transition to a new and better way of living and then the promise of resurrection from the dead. And we're so thankful that You have not thrown us away, that You have come to redeem us, body and spirit. I pray now for the few here this morning who don't believe this. Holy Spirit, Be merciful with them. Lavish your love upon them. Pour out your grace that they might become children of God with us. Because we don't want them to miss out in the glory about to be revealed to us. And the riches of your kindness, which you will show to us in all the ages yet to be. Lord Jesus, you are our King and our brother and our God. Thank you for dying and rising. We long to be with you. In your name we pray. Amen.